we come to you in this moment in celebration of the war that you've already won. 2,000 years ago, on that day, you defeated a victory that no man could ever accomplish. So Lord, we live in submission to that. We stand here today because you rose. So God, we celebrate, we thank you for the gift of life, for the gift of love, for your grace and your mercy. We thank you for your son, Jesus Christ. Amen. As Pastor Mark said last week, it's been good to be back and see all of you. If you were with us for the first um, few months of the year, we were actually going through our values and our lead pastor, Matt, um, was with us and going through uh, our, our five values. Basically, we met the pastors two and a half, three years ago now and really jotted down what are the things as a church that we find meeting in and that really define um, what uh, our church's mission is. And so Pastor Matt went through these five um, valleys and we got to really get to know them and really kind of immerse ourselves in these five valleys. So pa uh, Pastor Mark and I um, really got to minister during the, during the service with all of you and it was a great experience and we loved it, um, but we also miss being up here and seeing all of you. And so we are continuing our series um, we're back on. We were doing what is church to now what it means to be a church in action. So I want to start with a question. And many of you have probably taken uh, either Myers-Briggs or a strengths assessment or maybe even something that helps you define your character traits or your personality. So how many of you would say that courage is something that is in your character? You're a pretty courageous person. There aren't many. I don't see many hands. So I'd say, okay, there's one, there's two. Very courageous of you to raise your hand with not many others. But if courage is a trait of yours, you are probably the person in the room who if something's going south, you're going to stand up and make a choice, a decision. You're going to maybe confront somebody or... Maybe there is a situation where it either demands you step back or you step forward into something that requires courage. As many of you know, who know me, um, I love mountain biking. It's one of my hobbies. I, I love to do it. And um, those who live out west make fun of me because I like mountain biking in Florida. But there is some good mountain biking here. Um, it is called technical riding um, because there aren't many mountains in Florida, um, but there is a lot of fun ups and downs um, and just really fun riding where you can enjoy yourself. However, last summer, I got the chance to go out west and we uh, visited two different places. One um, was Lake Tahoe and the other one was Utah. And on, my, on our first trip in Lake Tahoe, we actually met up with some friends. Um, more, two of them knew the area really well. And the plan was to go mountain biking um, at this bike park. And this bike park is called North Star. 
If you've ever been in the winter, it's a ski resort, and that's what they do. Usually with ski resorts, they turn them into bike parks in the summer. Now, this is my first time going to a, a ski resort slash bike park. The majority of my riding experience has been in Florida. So um, my friend, we, we, uh, there's three of us that go, uh, four of us, and we go to this bike park, and um, I had to get used to how they do things and how to go up a lift. I've never been on a ski lift before. Um, and so this was unique because you had to really, what you had to do was you had to time the, the, it right because you had to get your bike on this metal rack that was moving, mounted on there correctly because if not, it's going to fall off in the middle, in, in midair. And then you have to wait for the, the seat that's right behind it to come. And so I was super nervous. I was like, I mean, I, I, I didn't want to look like the rookie. I didn't want to look like the guy there like, oh yeah, he's from Florida. He's never done this before. I, I didn't want to stand out. So I'm like super focused and I'm, I'm trying to make sure that I get the bike on the rack. And all of a sudden, um, as, I, as I get the bike on, I'm super pumped that I, I was able to mount the bike on the rack. I forget that the chair lift is coming behind me. And so without even noticing, it takes my legs out and I, I, I kind of freaked out and I put my hands out, sat on the ski lift. I embarrassed myself. They knew that this was my first time doing it. Um, and the other two guys who had done it before were smooth, got it on there, got on, on, the, on the chair, lift pretty easy. So as we're going up this, this ski lift, I'm, I'm, now that part is over. Everything's just moving really fast. You know when you're in a situation that's just uncomfortable or new, everything just feels like it's going a million miles an hour. So I'm going up this ski lift, and as we're removing ourselves from humanity and going up higher, things get quieter. And usually that's like a good feeling because you're removing yourself and in nature. But I know that we're going higher and higher and higher. And what goes up must come down. So I'm wondering what in the world have I gotten myself into? So we get to the, to the top of the ski lift only to find out that we have to take our bikes off and get on another one to go even higher. At this point, I'm like, this is good. We can just stop here. We can go down the mountain right here. Like, I'm, I am good. Like, it's already getting really windy. Like, elevation is it's, it's up there. Like, no, 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 we got to go to the top. So we get on, and I, this time I, I did it. I was much smoother. I, I looked like I'd been there before. I got it on. I was fine. We go up. I'm, I mean, adrenaline. I'm shaking. I'm terrified. It's getting higher and higher and higher. Finally, we get to the top. And if you've been skiing, you know that there's different lines you can take. There's green, blue, yellow, whatever, and they go to black, to double black. And I already know we're not doing the double black, that's for sure, that's not happening. Um, so we do some blues and I feel good and I'm like, okay, like I got the hang of it. And then one of the guys who's been there before, he's like, let's do this route called Gypsy. And I'm like, what is Gypsy? And he's like, well, it's a double black, but it's okay, like, like you'll be fine. Well. If you know anything about double black trails is there's no way to ride around features. Like, you have to do it. There is no other way, usually on all the other trails, you can ride around a feature if you don't want to do it and watch everyone else, you know, do crazy things. So I'm like, well, I'm only here one time. Like, whatever, let's, let's go, let's, let's do this. And uh, so we get on this trail and all of a sudden, as we're on it, we pass under a, um, a sign that says Red Bull. And I don't know about you, but if you've seen what they do on Red Bull, they're crazy, death-defying 
things that happen. And I'm like, I'm not, if it says Red Bull, I don't want nothing to do with it. Like, I am not interested in that. And so what happened is we get on to this trail and when we go under, I think I have a picture. Yeah, that is what it, even the guy has a Red Bull helmet. Like, you know that he's about that life. I'm not, I'm from Florida. I don't, I'm not interested. But we get to this wooden berm. And if you see on the back side of it, there is uh, on that, on those wooden, those two by fours over there, there's nets on there and on the bottom to catch you if you fall. And I'm like, this is not safe. Like, I don't know why they would even like, how does their insurance cover this? So as we're approaching this thing, I have a decision to make because on the other side of that is just, you're falling off the side of the mountain. It's like, it's built off of the mountain. So there's just a cliff. And, and on the bottom of it, you can really hurt yourself. It's all rock. So I have a decision to make. I can either just hit my brakes, fall out. There's people behind me that are probably going to crash if I, if I don't because you're going really, really fast. Or I, can, or I can just close my eyes and see what happens. And so I'll, I was courageous. I let my brakes go. I went on this berm. I got pretty close to the top of that net. But luckily, I survived. I'm here today, obviously. Never again will I do a Red Bull section of a bike park. Now you know to stay away from it. The features were insane, but it required me to do something way out of my element and to be super courageous by taking on that trail. Courage manifests itself in many different ways. For me, it was going down a really challenging trail on my bike. And that isn't the first time that I have displayed courage, but courage can manifest itself in different ways. Sometimes it requires us to take measures to be confrontational, and that can take courage. Many of us aren't very confrontational people, but when there's something happening that you know is wrong, it requires you to be courageous and to confront an individual or a situation. In Galatians 2, Paul has some decisions to make, whether or not he's going to be courageous. We're going to spend some time in Galatians 2, chapters, uh, chapter 2, verses 6 through 21. If you know this story, we're going to talk a little bit about it and, and to see what happens Two main thoughts that come to mind when we read through this passage and as it relates to what it means to be a church in action, but how do we live courageously? What does that look like? Does scripture tell us, give us situations where we know how to live and act in a courageous way? How does the church act in a courageous way? And what role does sanctification play in that big word? Up until this point, there was a lot of separation between the Jews and the Gentiles. There were things that the Jews were doing that were intentional to draw the line to separate themselves from the Gentiles. Things that were publicly seen that they would do that would say, yeah, these people are the Jews. They are the chosen ones. And the Galatians were the other people. They were those people. The Gentiles were those people they were they would do they would have laws and ceremonies they wouldn't walk a, a certain past a certain distance on the sabbath things that were visibly seen that would separate themselves from another group of people which they thought were less than them 
This was an issue of race, a group that felt like they were the chosen ones. And if you didn't conform to their specific beliefs, their values, and their rules, and you were an outcast, you weren't going to be the ones who were going to be saved. You were not a child of God. The world has operated on this idea of division for decades. And what saddens me is that we have let the world influence our church culture. We've created those walls. We have gone into the temple, into the house of God, and put up these walls that separate us. When Paul is trying to preach a gospel that says Jesus came to knock those walls and barriers down, where we no longer are those people and those people, but we are just people of God. And this is what Paul has to deal with in this specific situation when he's dealing with Peter. If you know, uh, if you've studied the book of Galatians, you know that most people, scholars, put it in, written in about AD 49. So that means it was 16 years from when Jesus had, had passed. And so the idea is that this was pretty fresh. The gospel was, was on fire. If you look at the, the, the timeline and how, how people aged, 16 years wasn't a very long time. And so people were on fire. They were spreading the gospel in, in the right way, but then there were other people who were saying things differently. So there was a lot of energy, emotion involved during this time because things were still pretty raw. So we have Peter, who had been living this, this way of living free, the gospel that Paul had been preaching. And up until this point, he'd been preaching that same thing. But then he started mingling with the group with the Jews, and then his tone, his theology, his ideas, his words began to change, saying, you also have to be part of the Jewish people. You have to follow by these rules. If you are not, we talked about circumcision, if you were not circumcised, you would not be saved. And this is what Peter is starting to preach, essentially trying to undo the work that Paul had been doing on these missionary journeys. Imagine you know someone who's talking about someone else, someone you love, saying false things, inaccurate things. What is your response? And this Paul has something to do. He either sits back or he goes down the trail and he confronts someone in a courageous way because what he's doing is gonna take courage because it isn't the popular opinion or the idea amongst the Jewish people. Paul writes this letter of Galatians. This letter is teaching us in the people of Galatia how to shake off their chains, how to live, not live in bondage to sin, to lust, to addiction, to anger, you name it, whatever is holding people down. Paul says you can be freed of that because that's why Jesus died so you no longer have to live with that burden of sin on you. You no longer have to abide and think that you have to check this box of rules in order to be saved because Jesus freed you from that. This idea of the resurrection of Jesus, which we're going to celebrate next week, is the essence of what Paul is trying to preach and what that meant for our world and people still aren't getting it. And Peter now is falling in line with a false theology, a false view of Jesus and what he did. 
This life of freedom was only attainable in one way, and it was in knowing Jesus. But what does that mean? What does it mean to know Jesus? What does that look like in our life? People have maybe have told you that, well, you just got to know Jesus. What does it look like for us to not only know him, but to live freely? Jesus would be the one to break down the barriers where there would be no difference between Jews and Gentiles, just a collective group of people. Someone asked what it means to live freely, to accept the gospel. Someone, some would say it means to be a Christian. What does that mean? What does it mean to be a Christian? Is it to go to church once a week? Is it to belong to a small group? Is it to carry your Bible in your passenger seat or in your trunk and never open it? Is it to have a Z88.3 sticker on the back of your car? Or even better, have the the license plate frame that says the seventh day is still God's Sabbath? Is that what it means to be a Christian? More importantly, what does it look like for a Christian to belong to a church that is living actively in its community? To live free, and how do we implement that in our daily life? All of chapter 1 in Galatians is basically setting up this theological principle that you can be freed from all of that. From what Peter was preaching on, Paul saying, no, you are freed from that one thing because of what Jesus did on the cross. I'm a pretty even-tempered person. If you, if you know me, you'd probably agree that's a character trait. Um, I don't get angry very easily. Uh, my voice doesn't change much, doesn't go up and down. Adeline thinks that I yell, but she does, I don't yell, I promise. She said, you're yelling. I'm like, no, you haven't heard yelling. Um, but things don't really make me too upset. Um, I'll get bummed out sometimes, and just like most. But there are certain things that will get under my skin. Things that will challenge my belief that there is a God in the universe. And one of those things... Uh, recently, I've gotten into this idea uh, or this thing of I, I love having, like I have to have clean floors. I hate stepping on things. And so Vanessa or I, we will, we will clean the floors. Uh, I mean, she's like intense. She's like on the floor like with a, like a toothbrush, scratching like every little thing, like cleaning and like making sure it's like, you know, just taking pride in her work. And I'll, I'll do the same thing. I won't, I won't go that much, but I will be proud of the work that I have done. I will, I will pretty much clean everything super proud, usually when the kids go to bed, but there are times that I'll try and clean because I just hate stepping on things. Adeline thinks it's funny when I step on something sharp because she reminds her of Home Alone, that one episode that she loves, to, that, one, that one movie. So she thinks it's hilarious. But there will be times where we'll clean the floor, it'll be super, I mean, just shiny. I mean, we are so proud. And then Isla or Adeline, Isla mostly recently, uh, she'll decide that her plate of spaghetti needs a bigger place to be. So she uses the floor, the tile, as her plate. And it will usually happen right when we are done. It, it couldn't have happened before when the floor was like, oh, it needs some cleaning. Oh, whatever, we got to clean it. It happens right when we are done. There's disaster. And that just, I mean, it just, it just irritates me. Because they have undone all the work 
that we've put into this floor completely. And Peter here is trying to undo all of the work, the, the, the pride that Paul has, has felt and, and the work that he's done going from one town to another. Peter is trying to undo it all by preaching a false gospel. Completely undoing all of the work that had happened along these journeys. What happens next is Paul has a decision to make. Peter, who was a prominent Christian figure, was excluding the Gentiles out of fear for the Jews. His fear had replaced his faith. Peter was now more concerned about a group of people more than he was about his own savior, what he had been called to do. And he was preaching a false gospel. One man trying to exclude a group because they didn't follow those same rules, because they didn't do what they were supposed to be doing according to the Jews. And here you have Paul in, in uh, Galatians 2, verses 6 through 8. He says, as for those who were held in high esteem, whatever they were makes no difference to me. God does not show favoritism, they added. Nothing Nothing to, my, nothing to my message. On the contrary, they recognized that I had been entrusted with the task of preaching the gospel to the uncircumcised, just as Peter had been preaching to the circumcised. Paul says, it makes no difference who you are. I know my calling. I know what I am called to do, and that is to preach the gospel of Jesus, and that is that he died for us, and we no longer live in bondage. We are freed from the devil. We are freed from anything that has been pulling us back that won't allow us to become greater than what we think we are. We are freed from that. Paul says, it doesn't matter what group is around me. I'm going to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. So Paul has to confront Peter and he says, what you're preaching is wrong and you know this. And the reason why Paul is so passionate is because he lived this way for a long time. He said, I tried. I tried to live this way. I tried to follow the rules. I tried to check every box and, and think that I could work my way into perfection, but it failed every single time I failed. And so I lived a life that was continuing to reach and reach and reach and fall short and reach and fall short. Paul says, I tried that. It doesn't Work. This is why the gospel of Jesus Christ is so important because we no longer have to try and do things to earn the love of Jesus because he did that when he died for you and for me. And this is the gospel that had been being been preached. And here Peter is trying to do undo all of that. The gospel demands sanctification, the process of being made clean. It isn't something that happens overnight instantaneously, but it is a slow transforming process. The idea that we submit that we die so Christ can live in us. Paul says this is what is necessary. This is what it's about. It's not about the rules. It's not about the regulations. It's not about the law, it's about what Jesus did and us submitting to that. That's what it's about. 
Paul talks about trying to keep this approach of living by works, and he says it's failed, it doesn't work. Live by faith in Jesus. Don't let your fear, the idea of the fruits, come before your faith. We've misused the law. One example of this, and I've heard others say this, a pastor once said this analogy, but he said the law is simply a mirror. It's a mirror that we look at to know that we are clean, unclean, that we need saving, that we are broken. The law itself cannot clean you. It has no power to wipe away the brokenness, the sin. It just shows you that you are in need of something bigger than you. It has no power to clean you. It shows you your need for Jesus. That is what the law is for. But sometimes we think that we can clean ourselves by keeping the law. But we fall short time and time again. We've misused it. Jesus, God, when God gave the tablets to the people, It was simply for them to see their need for him. But here's the thing. We we know this idea of law-keeping to attain salvation. It's known as legalism. And legalism can manifest itself in different ways. It wasn't just needing to be circumcised and needing to follow the ceremonial laws of the old times. But today it can manifest itself in being a slave to your work. Being a slave to your athletic prowess. Being a slave to someone else's affirmation of you. Being a slave to comparing yourself to somebody else. And if we can check those boxes, we think we're going to be okay, but we keep on reaching And we fall short because there's always someone that's better than you. But we live like that. those are the things we have to do to attain perfection. To be at peace with our life. So what does it mean that we quit trying? It's a famous text. Well, do 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 we not try anymore? Paul says it's the opposite. The process of sanctification does for you, what it does for you is it transforms you so that you become more like Christ. Out of the idea of submitting to Christ, we become more like him. And through him living in us, we are able to fulfill those things. And even if we don't, Jesus said, I died for you. But we must first submit to him. Paul is preaching this gospel again to the people, preaching it to Peter and saying, these aren't not the things that give you eternal life. Jesus brings eternal life. Naturally, we want to produce good fruit. As human beings, as fathers, mothers, we want to make sure that the fruits that we produce are good, but sometimes we put the fruit before our faith. Sometimes we think that producing the good fruit, chasing the good fruit is going to give us eternal life. It's gonna bring us peace. 
and we've forgotten to put our faith in Jesus. Two things have to happen for this text, this idea to come true in your life. Christ had to die for you, and you had to die to you. In order for sanctification to take place, you have to die to yourself, to realize that you are in need of saving, that you are in need of something bigger than you. Christ already died for you. We must die to ourselves so that Christ can live in us. If there was any other way, there was any other way to attain salvation, if there was a a, a list that we can follow, if there was a, a class that we could take, a process in which you do this, that, and that, and then you've attained salvation, then Christ died for nothing. What we celebrate next week was in vain. It wouldn't have been necessary, but this was the only way to live free from our guilt, from our shortcomings, from our brokenness. That is why Jesus died and rose again. The reality is that there's another barrier that, many barriers that don't allow us to experience this gift of grace, of submission for the Holy Spirit to work in us so that we become sanctified and we become, we, we be made holy through Jesus. I don't know what that is for you. I don't know what that looks like, what those walls that are being put up that don't let you accept the gift, that uh, make you feel like you need to keep on reaching. But we, we make those walls up all the time. As a father, as a mother, as a child, things that we put pressure on ourselves to feel like we have to do. And our fruit becomes the priority over our faith in Jesus. It's no secret that in the past few years, men and women of God, prominent leaders, have fallen. They've committed sins. They're publicly out there. We've seen religious leaders make mistakes. And I recently heard uh, a podcast, this this influencer who said, this is why people are leaving the church, because these men and women are falling. My response to that and to you If that is your reason for leaving the church, then you don't know Jesus. You don't know the gospel if your faith is in a man or a woman who's fallen. Oh, that's because there's so many hypocrites. That's why I'm not part of the church. You don't know Jesus. In my life, I've had mentors and people who may have disappointed me who may have preached a false gospel, trying to undo all the work that Jesus did on the cross. Like Peter trying to undo the work that had been done so far. And Paul says, don't let this one man, don't let this situation distract you from the main thing, which is Jesus. The gift of salvation The power of the cross is bigger than any man or woman and what decisions they make. At the end of the day, we're all humans. We all fall short. 
except for Jesus. He didn't fall short. The world thought he was defeated and he rose again. No tomb, no grave could hold him because he knew the victory was already won. And the promise in that is that he promised he'd return again. He'd come back. And in the meantime, he says, don't forget to talk about me, to share what I've done in your life and live in a way that reflects that. Let me sanctify you is the promise, is the ask that Jesus puts in our life. So where do we stand in all of this as a church, as Christians, as followers of Jesus? The call is that we die to ourselves so that Christ can live in us, and that is a daily dying, a decision that we must make. And if not, we fall into this idea, this pressure that we must continue to do things to satisfy God, to earn our way into an everlasting life with Jesus. But he says, die to yourself because I died for you. So the challenge is that we not only become bold and courageous, but the way we become that way is through sanctification, through the process that Christ lives in us, that we die daily to our shortcomings, to our sins, to our fear, to our depression, to our guilt, so Christ can live in us and through us. A church in action is courageous. A church in action dies to itself so that Christ can be seen. Father God, Lord, we thank you for the gift that you've given us in your son, Jesus Christ, as we are in a season of celebration of a victory that was won. Lord, we make this this decision today that we submit to the most high God, to the only one who demands time from us, the living God. We submit to that. We enter into this process that we may be sanctified and made clean only through you. We acknowledge that. We submit to that today. Lord, may we be a church that acts in courage, in bold courage in this community that stands up for you and that preaches the only true gospel that you died 2,000 years ago so that we could live. And that is the only way with you. Father God, we thank you for your gift. there's someone here today that needs to die to themselves, to surrender to you, God, may your spirit tug on their hearts. May they make that commitment to know that it's okay. They can submit. They can let it go and leave it at the feet of the cross because that is why you died. Lord, we thank you for who you are, for what you do, and for the promise that when you left, you would return. Christ's name we pray. Amen.